to Disjointed. Our podcast mission is to bring a voice to the problems facing decision-making in the built environment. Today, communication and processes are disjointed in the world of design and construction. Work happens across tools, teams, and timelines, making it hard to keep everyone connected. It's a constant challenge to reduce friction and meet project expectations. We believe there's a better way. Welcome to another episode of Disjointed. I'm excited to sit down with an architect and talk about the problems facing architects and designers in the industry. I have John Diffenderfer here today with me from ATIS. John, introduce yourself. Say hello to everybody. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, this is John Diffenderfer, and I am the president of ATIS Architects in San Jose, California. I've been with the firm for most of my professional career. That is so far about 30 plus years, uh, of which I've been a principal with the firm for about 20 of those firms, uh, of those years. And, uh, you know what, I came here right out of school and I found myself at a drafting table with pencil and paper. Uh, I had a, an old Macintosh computer on my desk doing drafting back in 1992. Um, and I haven't touched a drafting or a CAD program in 10 years. I, I, I have people for that. So well, that's good because here at Disjointed, we're about talking about the problems facing those people, facing you and facing architecture and design in general in the industry. So, you know, with that, you did a good job of kind of segueing into the problems. You know, how does design stay involved in projects, maintain visibility and ultimately, you know, maintain that intent throughout the project, right? That's that intent. It's that final product that is the consumable for your customer? Uh, well, at, at a certain point in the project, let's say at the beginning of a project, you know, that's, that is the conversation. We don't have any problem being relevant and all of that, but as the project evolves, uh, then, uh, you know, when price and price and schedule and delivery and all that starts to rear its ugly head, um, in a real sense, then, uh, we find ourselves, uh, Throwing our, trying to throw our elbows around a little bit gently to keep our our ideas uh, uh, at the you know front top of mind and uh, maybe a little a little begging along the way uh, you know the the uh, the the builder who puts together the estimate and the constructability and always comes up with a, another way or a better way or do we really need that system we can we can value engineer that out that's that's seriously you know, a challenge for, for a lot of projects. And, uh, I don't know, I, I certainly don't know the answer. Maybe by the end of this half hour, we'll have figured it all out, you know? So I, I don't know if we'll figure it all out, but we <laughs> hope to get as many of those ideas and problems out there so that, yeah. you know, that, so that we can all kind of digest it, right? Not one of us is going to figure it out. I want to break that out a little bit because I don't think we do a good job of understanding, you know, that early process and where those handovers happen. So I just did it. I'm like, I went right to where construction experiences a problem, but we're beyond construction, right? This is the AECO industry. So talk a little bit more about, you know, what that process looks like to you and sort of maybe where some of those things start to, you know, where they rear their ugly heads. I, I think for, for an architect, you know, everybody starts out very optimistically um, and, you know, you know, the, the, and, and very, you know, it's quick to come to, you know, what's the vision? What do we imagine for ourselves? Um, there's the, the problems happen 
when that vision, uh, we discovered that we've overreached the practical resources available. And I think the more we as architects can align ourselves mentally with the owner's point of view and, and admit that we know that we have a resource problem before we even get started. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a waste of time to over-design and then back it back. Um, it's more effective to, to sort of start with the end in, in mind a little bit more. And, and, you know, if we all, I don't know, I think it, it kind of comes back to this idea that, you know, to think of the, if the architect thinks I'm the architect, you know, I have my silo, the owner's got their silo, the builder's got their silo, and then we're all kind of competing for resources, right? If we all, if there's a way to sort of get everybody married together um, and re respect and appreciate the other perspectives, then we're all going to be, we all kind of pull in the same direction. And uh, I mean, I think that how to, how to sort of set those processes up early, um, you know, that so they can kind of dovetail and support each other. That's, uh, I think that that would probably be a good place to start to avoid those problems down the line. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're really talking about there's not infinite resources and, and there's a finite set of resources, but right now we're sort of playing this blind tug of war behind the wall. And you're saying, get it all out there and let's realistically understand what the budgets are, what, what we can design, what we mm -hmm. can build yeah, and then go through with it. Because I mean, and ultimately in this, it's a very unique position for you guys as architects because the owner is usually your customer. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like the drawings or the model or whatever it is you do is the end product. Not, not at all. Not at all. And it's got to go through a whole bunch of other people's hands. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to maintain the intent, part of it is, you know, that, that, that has always been stated that, that architects do a little bit of like champagne dreams and we're going to give you everything and y'all can go figure it out. Mm -hmm. But you're saying the mind shift that architects need to take is like, it's not an infinite set of resources. Yeah, for sure. Um, at, at the same time, I'm going to add, a, add another thought in here is, you know, that there, there's a chance to, to integrate, but again, each, each party also brings an expertise and a point of view that is unique and that will contribute value, right? So, you know, I've encountered it where I've, I've got a client, you know, they're, because they're not the designer, uh, more often than not, they come to the table with expectations consistent with what they have experienced in the past. Whereas architects in, uh, are inherently futurists. It's, it's a, it's, the impulse is actually to sort of reject what happened in the past, just because, you know, that was yesterday's project. And what are we going to do next? What's the world going to be like in the future? So you can kind of see there's two different parties looking opposite directions. And if, at the, at the same time that we're looking at the opportunities to integrate for efficiency, we're also looking at how do, how do we see our differences, respect those differences of point of view um, to add value. So can the owners recognize like, just because this worked in the past, way this option worked in the past, or this is the way we've always done it, uh, doesn't mean that there isn't an opportunity to do something differently in the future. And, and I think, uh, and from the builder's standpoint, right, I've, uh, I just had a, this just is a conversation I had yesterday uh, with a builder where 
they had a really great idea. We're working on a particular design together. It's a collaborative process. And they had a really great idea. Um, I knew that the client was not going to like the idea. But the contractor says, we have to present it to him because it's going to save some money. It's going to save this much money. And it gives them an opportunity to do these two or three things in the future. Well, I knew that the owner had no interest in doing those two or three things because we talked about it before. And, and yes, it would save money, but it would actually make the building less effective from their program standpoint. So, and the contractor just didn't want to let go of this brilliant idea because they knew it was going to save money and it was going to be more efficient for them to build it. But, uh, we, you know, so we compromise. Okay, we're going to bring it to the owner. We'll present it and let them, let them react to it. And they said, thanks, but no thanks. We don't want to do that. We'll spend the money. So it's like everybody's got their own perspective. Well, not, and to, I... not, to, not to neutralize, not to negate the fact that the contractor's idea was brilliant. It was really a good idea to solve the problem that they saw. So again, so I've had the opportunity to sit down um, with owners, Microsoft recently and Gafcon, their owner's uh, representative, to talk about those differences in expertise and exactly the process that you're going through. I would say the only thing about that process is the idea was great from the contractor, but their inability to understand that you had a level of expertise that that said, look, that's a great idea and I respect that idea, but it doesn't work in this position is something we've got to work through. But we don't want them not bringing those expertise. And I like that you said it wasn't necessarily you respected what they had to say, but you disagreed. There's this idea that in, you know, um, collaborative delivery methods, we all have to agree. That's actually not the best thing. We all have differing ex expertise experiences mm -hmm. and iron sharpens iron. You're talking about you know, in many respects, the general contractor with constructability experience, you with an understanding of the design, the feel of the building and what the owner's looking for, and then trades with their ability to do industrialized construction and other things. And hopefully we actually come out of those meetings with something none of us thought as a futurist. I think that's where we need to go. And I mean, have you experienced those groups really it, it, it succeeding on projects where everybody respects their opinions, but in the end, nobody wins. Everybody wins because nobody actually wins. Well, if everybody wins, everybody wins, right? So, Well, that's and, and let me, let me <laughs> okay, restate okay. that. So, let me restate <laughs> that because you, you, you. Oh, okay. No, I get it. It's like everybody yeah. wins. Everybody wins. Nobody wins exactly that's what you're trying to get right no, no be, because there's this idea and, and it's yeah. something i want uh people listening to shift their mindset in is you you said it really well and i heard it when you said it that person that came in was so married to their solution their idea that they couldn't let it go we can't be that married to anything we bring because then we're not open to the possibility that there's a better way that, that, that the group can actually find a new path. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean. Nobody wins because this one idea I'm holding isn't the thing. It's the project that wins. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, I guess it's, you know, if you, if everybody, if there's an alignment session at the beginning of the, at the kickoff meeting, I mean, to put it sort of most practical terms, if, you know, if everybody's on board with that win-win 
um, relationship and recognizes that the, the end outcome isn't necessarily about me, John, or you, Jeff, or, you know, he, she, they, that it's, it's about the sort of all of our outcome. We're all going to succeed together. You know, we just remind each other that. I mean, I, I got to say there's, there, are, there are builder teams that we work with that really exemplify that, that joyful pursuit of awesomeness you know, with, without, you know, and well, you just don't feel that. I mean, and, and there's, that, there's always conflict. You're always going to like, you, you, all, you have to be willing to sort of kill your babies, you know, in, in that scenario. Um, not literally, that's a metaphor. Um, uh, and, and once you kind of get into the rhythm of that, it, it's actually kind of, it's really, really fun to work in that. It's, you don't feel you don't feel grief over those things because you can see the whole thing come together, and uh, I do enjoy that. That's a unique statement because you know we, I got when I got into software and quality assurance. The first thing my boss told me was, "Listen, your entire job is to tell all of these developers, which are creating things, which is very much like construction, that their baby is ugly, and that <laughs> we have to fix it." <laughs> and and I feel like there's a lot of that if you can drop those expectations and then it can be a joyful experience, right? Because mm -hmm. we can all learn a little bit more and provide um, a little bit more value to the project, to the owner. So that ultimately together, you know, then the owner's getting what they wanted in a building that they're building out. You know, the people are going to uh, live in for a lot longer than we're just designing and, and constructing it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's this, this is sort of be, goes way beyond the AEC industry. I mean, it just goes back to, you know, Jim Collins and the good to great level five leadership or, or, um, you know, measure what matters. All of this stuff is about your really, you know, where your motivation is. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, I think architects historically have this, this, um, persona of, you know, being sort of, you know, black caped egomaniacs. And uh, there may be some, there's still a certain amount of cultural remnants in all of us of that. I think the profession is definitely changing along with the practical, you know, sort of the contractual side of the, the profession gradually being sort of whittled away by, by, you know, various, you know, from construction management and contractors and VDC and all of those things, you know, where does that sort of kernel, that essence of the architectural the architect, you know, the role of the architect, um, you know, that's where it's best, best value is. Um, but yeah, that, that I think the industry is changing. I think that the architect is becoming less of this, you, you know, sort of fountain of genius and more about a, you know, a professional communicator and really, you know, being able to sort of actively listen and where do you look, where do you find the kernels and pull on these threads to get, you know, get the best, you know, to optimize these solutions. I want to take what you said there and break a couple of things down quick. First, I want to go back to the black cape thing. Cause, cause I think that's something we have to get out there. Mm -hmm. There are a number of architects that still wear that play black cape and still oh, do that. There's I, a number, and I, and, but and I love those guys. They're so fun to talk to and I want to work <laughs> with them. I do. They're great. But there's also a number of construction companies out there that still do it the old way and still believe the old way. And there's a number of 
trade contractors that are still figuring out in the field and this is how we're going to do it, right? Like none of us don't have our skeletons or have our ones that make us all, you know, the the archetypical um, embodiment of what each is, right? So yeah. we're talking about shedding that embodiment, you know, and, and the shedding of that embodiment has a lot to do with exactly what you talked about, modern delivery methods, right? The mm-hmm. change in the way that we deliver projects from design, bid, build to new CM at risk, I, you know, design, build, mm-hmm. IPD, all these new wave contract delivery methods. How, you know, how have you seen those black capes or others all of a sudden get exposed in that process? Is that happening? Well, you know, maybe I think it is happening. It's happening in my, in my, the sectors I work in, I work primarily in, in uh, public education facilities uh, in California uh, and uh, we do a little bit with multifamily, multi-unit housing uh, in the in the Bay Area, in particular. Um, and it is happening, and I'm sure it's happening in some sectors more than others. You know, like any kind of adoption curve, there's always you know the you know the early adopters and the fast followers, and then there's usually a little bit of a dip, waiting for like the people to like see, waiting for those guys to fail or win before they. I think there's a there's a great diagram that shows that little break right there. Um, it's called crossing the chasm, and it's that's that, what it and is. It's yeah. that early majority. It, all of all things, yeah. all innovations, all marketing, all everything follows that. Yeah. That nice, lovely bell curve. Yeah. So it's so it's happening. Uh, we ourselves are involved with a, a, a project that uh, uh, using cross laminated timber to do modular uh, construction with. Uh, pre, you know, jurisdictional pre-approvals so that we can, rather than having to redesign and submit and go all out, now we actually can go and do over-the-counter approvals um, for up to 9,000 square feet of this. And it's all basically all gets prefabricated off-site, gets put together, uh, building goes together in three days. So uh, that's a pretty exciting way to, to, to deliver a public school product. Um, so it's happening. I think the there are the firms, I think we consider ourselves one of them, that are striving to be innovative, uh, which means we're always trying to keep our eyes open and our ear- minds open to figure out what, what will be that next thing. You can't just sit down and just like, okay, I'm going to invent something today, right? You just, have to, you just have to keep listening and wait for two things to click together and you're like, oh, there, I can do that. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's happening. I just, it, it, it life is messy. So there's always going to be those, that tail that just never wants to change. Um, when does the, when does the majority, when does that big, you know, the big hump in the middle of that curve flip over? Um, I don't know. It's going to happen. Any, it's going to happen sometime one way or the other, whether it's via legislation and regulation or, or suddenly we're just going to, there's going to be some financial, it just, it's no longer financially, plausible to say install gas in your building it just it just doesn't it's just too expensive dangerous whatever there'll be some limit so well and and i think you know in the modern delivery method we're starting to see you know you've got groups like dbia and others putting out the data on how many of the projects that are coming out across Mm -hmm. the across the country that are actually moving in that realm and i think you know to use another one we're 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 at that tipping point and in fact the tail is a lot of some of the other type of, of, you know, pretty heavy regulated development that's going to take mm-hmm. a little bit and, and quite 
quite frankly, probably should. So I think as we see that tip, we're going to see a lot more of it tip. But but you hit on something else in the process because going through this process, there's a transformation and a change. And you're already seeing that for you guys, a little bit of a disruption. You had an experience and you talked about you know, a lot of the roles from architecture moving over into construction management and the role of the architect changing. Talk a little bit more about, you know, what you and are experiencing there and how you might have to adapt. Uh, well, I think it, it really hit us hard probably about 20 years ago when suddenly in our sector, we see we saw a lot of construction management firms coming in. Uh, some of those early CM firms aren't actually around anymore, but now you have the Kitchells and the Gilbanes. Um, that in the Swinnertons that are, have big lion shares of, of, uh, of the market. And uh, a lot of what they do uh, is what it's very, the services really were what we used to do, like all through the seventies, eighties and nineties, like what was in our contract is still in my contract to do, but it's actually in their contract. Also, there's actually, you know, there's actually now a duplication of service, but they just gobbled up, you know, 2% of the construction, you know, the construction value of a project to do what I was already doing. So explain that, right? Um, how do we have to adapt to that? I mean, so, honestly, some of that stuff, you know, there was bitterness about that, but honestly, it's a lot of stuff that we didn't really want to do anyway. You know, it's, it's like, don't, you know, maybe that's a gift horse that we should appreciate. Now, again, like, let's focus on what we do best. You know, is it, is it tracking RFIs? Is that, or tracking change orders or, you know, doing meeting minutes, is that really where we want to leverage our, our expertise? So yeah, how to, and, you know, and also a lot of that has to do with a lot, of, a lot of those kinds of tasks. Why are they doing that? It's honestly because the owners saw a need to hold their architect accountable, which means that architects were losing track of something. They were abusing a process that was important, ultimately important to the owner after all. And they were willing to pay an extra, I don't know, $200,000 to somebody to make sure that I don't go over schedule or I don't, you know, that I don't leave something out of the design requirements and say, oh, I'm, so, I'm really sorry. I'll put that in when, and I'll charge you more money for it, right? Or to go over budget, like all of that stuff. Like, so, you know, it's, there's a little bit of a wake-up call that goes with that as well. Like, well, I... Did. I like that. I mean, I, I think that's recognizing it. And then you, you sometimes you've got to look that that new dark horse as like an opportunity because, you know, a lot of those construction documents, a lot of those things you're talking about also, you know, shift over some responsibility into the into the CMs and the GCs because they're closer to construction. They're closer to the change in the way things like, you know, laminated yeah. till, timber and what you're talking about modular. They're closer down the road to the trades that are going to be bringing even more of that. So and that frees you up. In, in many respects to consume it and then do more of what you do really well and inform what I don't think any of those groups really is trying to move into, which is understanding the actual design and right. the feel and, and the experience of a building and, and you can focus and, you know, in talking to Microsoft earlier in this process in GAFCON, you know, there's a huge new challenge coming for architects, right? I thought this was really interesting and I'm, I'm going to hit you with this out of left field I, is, you know, um, we talked with them about um, 
they're looking at building, and this was, by the way, the Rens Group, which is the campuses, not mm-hmm. not the other side, the data center side. That that was not who uh, Sala Eckhard was was representing. She represents the the campus side. Is that they're looking at their campuses because those campuses have to be ready and enticing to get the best talent of kids who are in elementary school today. So I don't think that construction documents and RFIs and change orders and some of those things are where I want an architect who understands and can consume that thinking. I I think Mm -hmm. I want them thinking what is in Sala and John's head and what, what thing don't we know about? Yeah. Well, that's a whole nother piece of, of un or uh, blue, blue ocean as it were for architects to sort of exploring sort of the research based design to, to understand. I mean, there's, you know, I'm, I'm with an organization called uh, A4LE, which really works pretty hard to sort of cobble together all of the existing research and does independent research on, on, on can- like how teaching, how teaching and learning occur in the physical space. It is it basically the premise that the physical environment affects the ability for a teacher to teach and a student to learn. Right. And there are, there are discernible features that support that, that learning mission. And there are discernible, definable characteristics of a building that seek that undermine the ability to learn. And those are understandable and they can be, and they can be, and, and research can prove it out and discover new ways of doing it. Right. And, uh, you know, some of the most obvious, right. Are daylight and views, um, the, the idea that you have natural daylight and you have a window and see the trees outside that actually stimulates my mind to be more uh, absorptive and also reduces my cortisol levels. So now I can actually, again, more, even more receptive to learning, right? So all of that works together. Um, so that, yeah. So the more architects understand sort of what, what the research says, you know, and, you know, the same kind of research, you know, I'm thinking, you, know, you talk about, you know, campuses, environments you want, if you think of a campus, a school that's competing for students, right? Whether it's this school and that school, you know, bringing people into the community, bringing people on to, in, to enroll in that particular program. Like, what are those features that are going to be attractive? You can, you can study that and you can understand it. You can bring that to the table, right? So again, that's for the architect to decide, this is my brand. This is my differentiator. I understand this. That commoditization of the working drawings and the building permit, you know, whether I'm doing that or a, a production mill somewhere else, or whether it's the general contractor doing it in some ways, that's all just, you know, whatever's the most effective. I'm just going to get paid top dollar to do what I do best. Well, and cause it's top dollar to deliver something other people can't focus on. If you're folk, you, you only have so much focus, right? We talked yeah. about this, mm-hmm. if non, non-infinite resource. So that frees you up moving some of that, shifting some of that frees you up to, to do more thought like that. I mean, I think we can't, not look at what we've just went through when it comes to COVID and knowing we don't know what comes next and we don't know how these environments will be adaptable. So just like you're thinking about that, there's probably 10 other things you and I aren't smart enough right now to come up with that. Well, maybe actually you probably are and A4LE probably is collectively as a group, right? To, to say, Hey, stop talking about that. Let's talk about this. Let's think about if this hits again, or something like it, how do we mm-hmm. still enjoy the environment? I mean, I, I'm a big fan and this is not a tech show. It's a problem show, but like 
we honestly have to think about the augmentation of those natural environments later and how we start to to build smart devices and smart things into it so people who can't experience those environments there there will be these situations like we've been forced into where certain groups because they can't be together for whatever reason need to experience and should experience that but there's always going to be certain people who can't experience some physical spaces how do we take advantage of you know a, an extended reality situation and do that well it's going to be up to you guys to think through that and and to provide us ways to do that. Yeah. Well, this obviously has been a big in the design world, a big hot topic in the last couple of years, especially through COVID. Is is what is that? What are those sort of ways of of sort of mitigating or accommodating? I mean, we've talked to clients about, um, you know, let's, let's say traditionally they'd say we have X number of students, so many students per classroom. That's X, you know, Y number of classrooms. Well, we can line them up in two rows and we can be done with the project. Well, if we sort of think dif- differently about that, where to, you know, when you start thinking about school that doesn't, you know, you know, obviously with COVID, not everything could happen, you know, indoors was problematic, right? So, well, if we can educate, if, you know, if you take, you know, a thousand square foot classroom, like you could put like say 32 kids in there or something, but if you take them outside, you know, your resource, again, limited resources, thousand square feet. Now I've got 10 acres of land. You know, I can spread people like now, I, you know, outdoor learning becomes a whole nother thing. You, you suddenly you have this whole, I know I'm probably going way off track of what you what you asked, but um, that the, uh, that there's so many different ways of, of attacking that design problem. And, and we we're talking to a client about, well, maybe it isn't, 10 classrooms in a row, what if it's five classrooms in a row and then those last five are actually just uh, like super flexible, unconditioned, you know, roof coverings with panels that opened up so you could block the wind or, or whatever, but they're essentially sort of protected in outdoor spaces and kids could kind of move in and out and teachers have options in what kind of environment they want to teach. And this is actually in a really beautiful, mild environment where they could do this really easily. Doesn't make sense to crew can't keep these kids in a room with the blinds closed when it's a flipping beautiful day outside. Like let's go out and learn out there. You know, Thomas Jefferson is a lot more interesting outdoors than he is sitting in, in a dark room for, for a number what? of reasons. I, I completely forgot what your question was. That's okay. You nailed it. You <laughs> nailed it because what you did, John was go into what we call a flow state of, <laughs> Of really what designers are great at, right? Is coming up with a set of ideas that that I'm I'm gonna guarantee you most construction people aren't gonna have that same idea. But what you just did was focus on where you can provide the most value and then challenge the rest of the teams to deliver on those ideas and every but everybody have an understanding and an openness around, you know, talking about those things. That's that's where I think what I hear is you know, there's a lot of focus on the back and forth and the disjointed nature of where we are and and kind of adversarial relationships when really mm-hmm. if we think about this as like a finite set of resources and shifting things a little bit and being a little flexible, we can actually open up each group to reach the true potential of what they can provide. And what you're speaking of is the architecture side of things can think freely if you're not necessarily, I'm going to say it, burdened with some of those other types of things that might have classically been commoditized pieces of your of your contracts. Mm-hmm. 
Now, ultimately, you know, the 2% crossover, we've got to work on how, and I know the owners are interested in working on how, how do we separate that out better, but also maintain, you know, um, contractual and, and make sure we deliver, you know, all those things correctly. Uh, you and I aren't going to figure that out because part of what the show was about is about getting that out there. And you've done a fantastic job of getting that out there so that other people can start to digest the problems and see it through your lens. There's a lot of people who don't have your sort of infinite mindset. They have a very finite mindset. And if if those people take that 2%, they're taking my cheese and I'm only going to have so much left. And I'm hearing you're not looking at it like that. Yeah, because I don't know. There's there's still cheese. I got some cheese. I got I got I got the best cheese. <laughs> you got the best, and you think, and I Please, think uh, it, to me, it's, to me, that's the best cheese. The cheese the other guy got made me. That's his. That's the flavor he liked, right? Well, and it's the flavor he likes because it's like that, or, or she likes, or they like because it yeah. it brings them into a space where it allows them to do the rest of what they do really, really well. Mm-hmm. So that's okay. Like this yeah. is. This is the process. This is transformation. It's it, everybody changes a little bit. Um, and what other, are there other obstacles that you see to, you know, freeing that up for architects? Is there other problems that we haven't discussed in this process that you're like, look, we got to get a, get this out there on the table so we can work on it. I don't know. Everybody should read a good business book, you know? get their head out, get their head out of the architecture business and understand the larger context of, of, of business and business relationships, you know, understanding, understanding, uh, supply chain and understanding all that. I mean, uh, I, I was, I was asking a developer to sort of tell me about, or not, I, actually, I take that back. I was actually <laughs> I was trying to protect somebody. I was actually, I was talking to an architect. And I, who was involved in a, in a big development. And I asked them to divulge to me like more about the sort of the investment structure, like the developer and where the, where, how the investment worked in and sort of like the waterfall of how, of how the payouts go and, and just understand all that structure. So me as the architect, I understand their, understand that world a little better. And his answer was, ah, we're architects. We don't need to understand that. And I thought that's, that's bad news. We, we have to at least know, right? I mean, we're not burdened with it, as you say, but we still have to understand and appreciate it. Um, so, you know, read a good business book beyond, you know, think, think something like, don't, don't think like an architect. Think like, you know, a business well, person. It, it's a business, right? And, I, and, yeah. and to go to our cheese analogy, yeah. they're like, you don't have, you get the best slice of the cheese, but here's the other cool part. If yeah. you're focused on that and you're really delivering, then you can go get more of that really good cheese that you like yeah. because you've been so successful and your owners have been successful and the projects have been successful. So you, it, from a business perspective, it's actually really good for you from that perspective to find that and to chase more of that and do more of that and win more. And I think there's a misunderstanding in this business and, and, and an inability at times for people to realize that like, listen, every one of us is here to make money and, and is in business. You know, um, the show is produced by uh, join. We're here to make money. You're here to make money. General contractors are here to make money, trade contractors, suppliers. And I, and I love this because I'll say this to people and they'll look at me like, but I got to make my money. And I go, wait a minute. 
how many times have you told me you love that trade contractor or how many times, you know, has John said, I love that GC. Well, if everybody whittles away at their profit and they go away, you're not going to have them to work with again. So like fairly sharing yeah. the pie mm -hmm. means, and support the ones who are supporting the process, who are getting involved because that rising tide will squash out the others too. Mm -hmm. And we can force that change, but we have to force that change by understanding that everybody in the chain needs to read a business book. Everybody in the chain needs their money. And that's okay. Like it's not, it, money's not why you exist, John, as a business, but it's like a car. Gasoline's not why you drive a car, but without right. it, you ain't going nowhere. So we need people to understand that. So I think you did a yeah. really good job of articulating that. Um, so I, I got to wrap us up or else we're going to have another one of those long episodes and people are going to be driving <laughs> off into nowhere. Um, I really can, can honestly just wrap this up by saying, listen, read a business book, understand what is the most impactful thing that, that, uh, architects can do and change agents can do and be a part of understanding more than just your fair share, what you're going to be working on, open your eyes up, be collaborative and uh, take part in the process. Um, and it's not all about happy, fruitful, everybody leaves singing kumbaya um, conversations. It's about really hard conversations that end with a better product than everybody went in with. As long as everybody goes in understanding that it, sometimes you're not going to win. And in fact, most everybody in the room shouldn't win because then the project itself wins with the best idea. Did I get that right for you? Yeah, but I'd throw a little bit. We can, we can still have a good time and we can all still win a little. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> very well said because I did get very negative on that one. And, and in fact, you used a term that I loved. This joyful term you used. Like you actually said the joyful pursuit of awesomeness. Like, that's cool. I mean, Thanks. to believe that a group of, I mean, how many times has everybody left a project and went, Ugh. what if we left and we were like, yeah. And everybody high-fived and was like, see you on the next one. That's, that is what I'm after every time. That's, that's the goal. That's awesome. Hey, John, before I let you go, let everybody know where they might be able to connect with you, find more about ATIS, find more about you, follow what's going on out there. Uh, let's see. So you can find ATIS Architects, A-E-D as in David, I-S as in Sam, Architects on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find us at atisarchitects.com. That's our website. Uh, my name is John Diffenderfer. That's D-I-F-F-E-N-D-E-R-F-E-R. -E 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 and then I've got an email address is jdiffenderfer at atisarchitects.com. Well, that's awesome. We'll have all of that in the show notes for you. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Thanks for tuning into this season of Disjointed. Remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. To learn more about Disjointed or read the show notes, just stop by disjointed.fm. Do you have a show idea or want to lend your voice to the discussion? Then email me at jeff at disjointed.fm. This show is brought to you by Join, the decision-making platform for the built environment. Learn more at join.build.